So good to see you guys. We are going to be in 1 Timothy tonight. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab your phone, flip open to uh, 1 Timothy, and uh, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Do I sound like I'm like, no, it's fine. It's just me, huh? Okay. All right. Uh, if, you don't, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or it's new to you, there's a table of contents in the beginning of the Bible, first few pages, and uh, 1 Timothy is in what we call the New Testament. It's basically the story uh, of Jesus and his disciples. So uh, that's where we're going to be, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, uh, what we're doing in this time period before our annual vision series, for most of you who have been part of St. Sil for a while, you know we do a vision series every fall. Uh, kind of in between now and then, we're doing this series really on the re-pioneering of our church. Like, what is our church about? It's kind of like a replanting, if you will. I know a lot of you guys have been tracking with us for a long time. I see a lot of familiar faces, people that I would consider family, but I know there's people who are new. And so what we're doing is we're kind of re-giving the why for Saints Hill. Uh, what do we exist to do, especially as we come back to gather? Hopefully we continue to be able to gather like this, but why do we exist? So um, this evening, we're gonna get some insight from the Apostle Paul to a church plant. Um, to this church plant that this gentleman named Timothy leads. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, where it started out, it says this. Paul's speaking to Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Verse 5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time time. Now, um, many of you are probably, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this passage because it has this just like bomb drop. First of all, this is what he says, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for kings, people in authority. And you have to imagine that, you know, Paul is writing this to the first, the, these first century believers who had some really bad kings. Like they would, they make it look like we have like the best lives ever compared to some of the things that these people were going through. Now, um, I don't bring this passage up to necessarily talk about that or to talk about politics at this point. We have actually a class that I've written coming up in the fall called God in Government. We'll let everybody sign up for it. It's gonna be a ton of fun. It's not gonna happen on a Sunday, but we're gonna get a vision as a church for what is God's governance and what kind of governance should his people endorse. And so we're gonna talk about that in the fall. But what I want to point out this evening is that if you want to change a culture, if you're a church plant like this one that actually wants to have great impact on a place or on a people, if you wanna see civic change, it comes from two things, prayer and peace. Did you see what he said? I first of all urge that prayers be made so that you can live quiet and peaceful lives. This passage actually teaches us that salvation for the lost of Newburgh will be a result of intercession. So what is intercession? It's standing against the demonic and for the spirit on behalf of someone. Maybe somebody who doesn't even know that they're being demonically influenced or that the spirit is available to them. It's you standing in the gap and saying, God, for this person right here, do this. 
and, and, and keep away that and come and, and meet them this way. That's intercession. And it will come from you being a person of peace, being a person who has peace. How exactly does this work? Well, let's go verse by verse through this. Uh, I think this is a really, really important passage. So verse one, he says this. I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and for those who are in authority. So we gotta understand this. Our job or the vision statement for a Christian's public engagement is to pray for our president, to pray for our governor, to pray for those who are in authority in this town and generally in our country over us. Now, um, as Christians, we may have our preferences of how we're ruled, right? We may have our preferences of the kind of people who rule us, but those preferences cannot get in the way of our prayer. Our prayer comes first before even what we prefer. That's what this passage teaches us. The scriptures are clear. It rains on the just and the unjust, and in the context of the, of the scriptures, they are in a desert culture, so rain is a good thing. What is, it, what is being said with that? God brings his blessing on those people who are just and on people who are unjust. It messes with us, but when we pray for people, for their blessing, for people who we disagree with or who are wicked, we affirm that we all are participating in the mission of God's goodness regardless of the person that his goodness is poured out on. Do you get that? <laughs> we have a mission that actually supersedes our preferences. Many of you are probably familiar with the passage in Jeremiah 29 where he says, you know, I have plans to prosper you, good plans for you. If you're unfamiliar with it, essentially what's going on is at this point in Israel's history, Israel has been removed from their land. They've been kidnapped from uh, Jerusalem, from Israel itself as a country, and they've been taken to Babylon, to this evil empire. The way that the Bible talks about Babylon, you do not want to be Babylon in the final judgment. It's pretty rough. So they get taken to this place called Babylon. And uh, this, this letter that, that Jeremiah the prophet writes to uh, Israel while they're in Babylon, while they've been removed from their land, kind of crescendos to this moment in Jeremiah 29, where God speaking to his people says this, and it's actually in your bulletin. I, we had it printed out for you. Here's what Jeremiah says to these exiles. He says, also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Let's all say that together. If it prospers, you too will prosper. What this means is that no matter who governs us, what is best for us is to seek what is best for them. Do you get that? What is best for us is to seek the peace and prosperity of the place that we live. Our aim is peace and prosperity. I think many are comfortable with the idea of us seeking the peace of the United States. Nobody would be like, I don't want peace. I think all of us want peace. Whether we're Christian or not, we want peace, right? But I think it's difficult, maybe even for Christians particularly, when we say we're to seek the prosperity of the place that we're from. Why? Because does, don't we already have enough prosperity? Look at this. This is, we're all wearing new clothes. We're all hanging out together. We're gonna have hot dogs for free. It's crazy levels of prosperity. We don't have to worry about uh, being persecuted or shut down or anything like that. Seek the prosperity as well. 
Why? Because when the place that you live prospers, it actually enables you to be a person of peace more effectively. More effectively. I recently heard a story about a, um, a family in our church. Uh, I, I actually, I won't point him out. I see him here. Uh, I recently heard a, a, this story about this family in our church that is seeking the peace and prosperity of the, pe- of the people that they live with. And uh, what, what they're doing is they've come into contact with um, this gal uh, who is, is quite poor. She's young. She's like 16 years old, and she just had a kid. And uh, through relationship with some of the people around this gal, they've come into contact with her. And she doesn't have a father. Her, her mother has passed away. And she's spending, they're spending their time teaching her how to be a mom, teaching her how to survive and how to parent this child. What is that? What exactly is going on? They're seeking the peace and the prosperity of the place where they live. They're coming alongside the culture or a person or a group in the culture that desires the kingdom, but doesn't know how to get the kingdom. And through peace and prayer, they're enabling that person or that group to rise above their personal history so that they end up stepping into the glory of sonship or daughtership. That's what our call is. That's what we're to do. That's what Paul is saying right here. This is how we prosper as a people. He continues in verse two, look down at your Bibles. He says this, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Hang on to that phrase. We're gonna come back to that later. Verse three, this is good and pleases God our savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Do you see that there's a connection that Paul is building here for the church? And the connection is this, it's living a quiet and peaceful life and it's the salvation of others. Those two things are connected. Um, it's living a quiet and peaceful life and then people coming to a knowledge of what is actually true about God, about themselves and about the world around them. It's a really big deal. Verse five says this, for there is one God, Paul kind of jumps into, here's what the knowledge is that they're gonna get through your peaceful life. For there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. Now, here's the knowledge, here's the uh, salvation that our peace and prayer leads to that humans without a connection to God and who are actually held captive by sin and need to be set free actually get connected to the one person who can free them to the one person who can teach them. And what does it say? I mean, Paul is so clear here. He says, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. That's Jesus Christ. So here's the point. The message of Jesus is our priority. And if we want to create a cultural landscape that enables not only people in authority like kings and rulers, but also our neighbors to come to faith in Christ, we need intercession and we need peace. We need intercession, and we also need to live lives of peace. I want to talk about intercession uh, in depth at another time, but this evening what I really want to focus on is the power of peace and the power of a peace-filled people. Why is it that living a peaceful life, 
according to Paul, is going to have such incredible gospel results that people are going to come to know Christ. Why is it that, that a peaceful life is the aim that Paul is trying to direct this church towards? It, I mean, I've almost wondered, I, you know, I don't know, that is like peace powerful? Like what exactly does peace do? I, I tend to think of peace almost as being something that's more for me than for anybody else. Like my, I'm glad I have peace. I hope you get peace someday, but I got peace, you know? But Paul seems to think that peace is directly connected to the relationships that we develop with the people around us. So, so why is peace so powerful? Well, if you're taking notes, write these down. I think there's two different reasons why Paul is talking about peace in this way or living lives of peace in this way. And the first reason is this, peace is a person. Write this down, peace is a person. Uh, see, I think that most people in our culture would define peace as the absence of conflict. You know, if you have conflict in your life, I don't have any peace. Or if you have a difficult circumstance or a job that you hate, I don't have any peace. Or you just had a baby and you're up all night. It's like, I definitely don't have any peace. But for Christians, the definition of peace is not absence of conflict. Peace isn't the absence of difficulty, but the presence of a person. That's peace. And this idea, when you really understand this, will change everything. Because, uh, because think about Jesus uh, when he's in the boat during the storm. The disciples, they don't have peace. The situation around them, not peaceful. And yet Jesus has peace. And, it, and that peace directly relates to the authority that he carries. Very interesting. Or, or, or think about just Jesus' general life being hunted by the Pharisees, trying to be killed by the Pharisees. And yet Jesus maintained peace. Or, or you think about the moment where Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to the cross. I will be killed on this day in this place. He was not anxious. He was full of peace. Peace isn't good circumstances, but the presence of God and your awareness of him. That's what peace really is. So think about this. Your peace is only as strong as your awareness of God's presence in your life. Your peace is only as strong as your awareness of God's being present in your life. And this lifestyle of hosting peace himself is such a powerful witness to kings, to rulers, and to the neighbors that you live amongst so that when people encounter you, they actually encounter peace because they're encountering Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Do you get it? If peace is absence of conflict, you can only be a witness to people who are absent of conflict. But if peace is a person, then you're actually enabling the people around you who don't have peace to get access to peace by getting access to Jesus through you. It's a big deal. Peace is powerful because it's a person. Secondly, peace is powerful because it's single-minded. Peace is powerful because it's a single-minded way of living. There is a peace that comes from being single-minded and we're living in this time where it is more difficult than ever to be single-minded. Do you find yourself in this time? I, this is me. I find myself just completely torn in a thousand different directions, thinking about a thousand different things, unable to just find like, okay, what is the truth? Like, where, is my, where am I rooted? I see that there is a gap for many Christians between the single-minded Christian and the informed Christian. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, the single-minded Christian and then there's the informed Christian. The informed Christian 
is informed about a lot of things that may not directly be their responsibility. And so that leads to a level of anxiety in ignoring the presence of God in their lives. It's a big deal. That's where the peace leaves. That's where the stress comes in and you end up being just as frantic as everybody around you, including the people who don't have hope. And so you wonder in that moment, like, do I even have any hope to offer the people around me? Because as I've attempted to be super informed, I've found the anxiety of my life increasing and my awareness of your presence decreasing. And I'm not sure I even have something to share with my neighbors or the people around me. Is that just me? That's how I feel. (laughs) See, we're living in this unprecedented time where we're getting more information about the world around us than ever before. And so we're no longer just required to be local citizens of a town or of a city. We're now required to be global citizens and it's exhausting because nobody has ever done this before. (laughs) This has never happened before. And so many feel stretched thin with the cares of the world weighing down on them. But there's a solution. Peace comes from being single-minded in our approach to the world and its issues. If, if I were to ask you the question, what's, good, what's best for people? Would you have an answer? If I were to just say, you know, we don't talk like this is more like kind of how Plato talked, but if I were to ask you, what is human flourishing? Would you have a definition? Because we're living in a time that has talked us out of Jesus being the thing that everyone needs, and now we're looking for solutions that are tailored to the personal histories of those who are oppressed around us or disadvantaged. And so then what we're forced to do is actually sell them a bill of goods or we're encouraged to, uh, you gotta read this book, you gotta think about this, you gotta make sure that you don't say this and you do say this. When in reality, Jesus is the hope of every nation. Jesus is the hope of every person. And so we've been talked as informed Christians, we've been talked into a level of complexity that denies the centrality of Jesus. It's not sophisticated to be anxious. Jesus was a person of peace because he only did what he saw the Father doing. Do you guys know that passage? There's a passage where uh, Jesus gives us this insight into what it means to be a disciple. And he says this, I only say what I hear the Father saying. And then he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. In other words, he has limited his activity to proximity. Jesus has limited what he will do and what he will say to the proximity of being with the Father. And I believe that when Paul says that we should live lives of peace, it is because peace comes from only doing what we see the Father doing. That's where peace comes from. It's making that decision in your heart saying, I will not be stretched thin by the cares of the world. And it's not that I don't care about the world, it's just that the best way for me to care about the world is to only do what I see him doing. Do you see that? Do you understand that? It doesn't mean that you're not gonna be busy. 
Peace isn't the absence of being busy. Peace isn't like an organized schedule. It means that whatever you see him do, that is where there is grace for you to do the same thing. And just because somebody else sees him doing something different and they're doing that, it doesn't mean that you need to do that as well. It means that you need to go to him and say, you're my, you're my project manager. I'm sure, God, that you have somebody over here doing this thing right there. So what are my marching orders? What would you have me do? And I'll go do that. There, there's, there's peace that comes from doing that. There's peace that comes from limiting your activity, your uh, thought life, to just what you see him doing, just saying what you see him saying. See, many people, many Christians, well-intentioned Christians, take emotional responsibility for things that we have not been given physical responsibility for, and then we burn out trying to win the approval of someone who already approves of us. That was better news than your response. Okay, let's say this again. Many of us, we take emotional responsibility for things that God has not given us responsibility for, then we burn out doing ministry because we were trying to get his approval when he already approved of us. So we work for identity rather than from a place of I know who I am. I know what you say. You will not find peace by knowing every angle of every issue around you. You will find peace by centering yourself on his voice. People of peace change environments by giving people permission to take responsibility for their community at the pace of their relationship with Jesus. That's so freeing. The weight of the world doesn't have to be on your shoulders because his yoke was meant to be on your shoulders. It's a permission to have an unwillingness to be sidetracked by the waves of culture back and forth, trying to stay on the right side of history and be seen in a positive light. That's exhausting. We're never meant to be on the right side of history. We were meant to be on the right side of eternity. Amen. You know, in the midst of um, all that an election year is, because <laughs> wow, the writers of 2020, they just got wild with it, didn't they? Um, with a pandemic, uh, there still is good news for our moment. There still is good news for the time that we're living in right now. See, people want the kingdom. I don't know if you sense this, but in every cry that I'm seeing on social media, even in the you know, 70 days now that people have been rioting in downtown Portland, there is a desire for the kingdom of God, a desire for the things of God, whether people would ever combine God with it. One of the things that we say is that people want the kingdom, they just don't want the king. People actually want peace. They really do. They want a relationship with their creator, whether they know it or not. And as Christians, it's our job to give them an, an encounter with peace himself. That's actually like our marching orders, our job. But we need to make sure that what we're speaking with our lives, that what we're believing with our minds and our hearts are actually the same message that, that Paul writes here. Look down at verse five real fast. It says this. This is the, the mini gospel that Paul gives us. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave, notice that word, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. I've recently heard many Christians saying this phrase, no justice, no peace. 
Have you guys heard this phrase, no justice, no peace? It's an old uh, kind of protest uh, chant. And um, there's a pastor who I recently heard, uh, he, he, he explained this phrase on his podcast this way. He said, we will not give people the peace of living uninterrupted lives. We will protest and yell and riot until justice comes. No justice, no peace. Is this the solution Jesus used to change a society? Is this the solution that, that Jesus came up with for broad sweeping kingdom change? See, the problem is that as Christians, we cannot withhold peace when peace isn't the absence of conflict, but the presence of a person. Because the person goes with us wherever we go. We can't withhold Jesus from a culture that's desperate for Jesus in order to see them reform and become more just. Secondly, this phrase shows that we believe it is possible to give too much goodness to people and that we should be careful with how much grace and love we show. That cultural change happens through the desire of people for peace being held at bay from them until they reform. No justice, no peace. It's a phrase that really gives away our lack of understanding of the gospel because essentially what we're saying when we speak that out is that it is dangerous to give Jesus to the unjust. It is dangerous to give peace to the wicked or forgiveness to the sinner. It shows that we don't believe Kindness leads to repentance. We believe protest leads to repentance or rioting leads to repentance or I'm gonna withhold, I'm, that, that conflict is gonna lead to repentance. But I love this passage before us this evening. Here's what it says. The man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all people. It was his generosity of himself that actually leads people to coming to know the truth in repentance and into salvation. He's not afraid to give. See, ironically, that phrase, no justice, no peace, is actually the opposite. Without peace, there will be no justice. That is the upside down reality of the kingdom. Without the presence of God walking into difficult circumstances, there will be no justice that comes to the land. Without the king, there will never be the kingdom. See, the reason why peace is so powerful is that we demonstrate that we're governed and that we have access to another world that everyone around us is wishing they had access to. Where did you get that peace? Where did you get that sense? Where did you get that voice in your life? When Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, he had peace that led to authority. And the reality is this, the only storm, the only set of difficulties you have authority over is the storm that you can sleep through. When we live like that, Regardless of what we face, I'm going to host you. Regardless of what I faced, I'm single-minded on you. 
when we live like that, when we pray for the sick, when we step out and risk, I have peace and it's not determined upon the circumstance. I'm gonna step out and pray. When we pray for the leaders of our country who we may or may not like, we, when we give a prophetic word to somebody and say, hey, I, th- I was thinking about you and I, and I think God may be saying this to you or I read this passage earlier and I think that God may wanna use this in your life. Can I just share this passage with you? When we live with the person of peace directing our attention and our focus, we're teaching the world around us to get an appetite for something that will not be found in the craziness of the world, but in the quiet place where they say, God, are you real? Would you show yourself to me? And we're testifying that we have access to him and so can they. That there is a potential surplus for anyone who wants it and it comes with partnership with peace himself. That's what our call is, St. Hill, to be people of peace so that the place that we live would prosper, the people in authority would gain wisdom, and our neighbors would come to the knowledge that there's one God, one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. There's one solution for the craziness of the world, and it's centering yourself on the Prince of Peace himself. Let's stand together.